your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I've got the team from Pittsburgh Power with me. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, troubleshooting, modifications, upgrades, emissions, electrical, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. We're going to get to those calls and questions in just a little bit. Looks like I'm being joined today by John and Ethan, and Bruce is missing in action. Welcome, guys. Hi, Kevin. Good to be here. Hi, Kevin. Hey, great to have you here. What's uh, what's new and exciting these days? Uh, I haven't got much more from last week. I'm still uh, trying to catch up with the uh, uh, the Dorothys that we sold. So I've been uh, doing a lot of fabbing, and we finished an installation and built a kit and built a master for a kit for an ISX last week that'll fit any uh, any narrow cab uh, Packard product with the, with an ISX in it. So uh, we've got that one done, and I've got all the pieces uh, laid out, and I've got all the examples built. So uh, so we could easily repeat that one right now. So that was a that's the first one. We'll be doing a DD15 later this week, uh, and again I'll build all the masters for that this week as well. So. So DD15 and a Cascadia and narrow or narrow cab uh, Packard products right now. Well, I've got a I've got a picture here in front of me. It looks like Paul could use a little Dorothy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did he send you the picture of the the jar full of soot that came out of his uh, out of his engine? Yeah. Yeah, that was just out of the intake pretty, manifold. Pretty amazing, isn't it? That just the manifold. That's what we cleaned out of the manifold. Yeah. That no, after insane. I think he's got a you know, half million miles or so on that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of soot. That was a whole lot. Yeah, not to mention all the little tubes and everything else that we didn't catch and put in that uh, in that container. So that's probably only about two thirds of what we cleaned out of it. Which is why, you know, that's after a half mil. You know, I'm pretty serious on doing these maintenance uh, every quarter of a million, um, or every two hundred thousand even better. The stuff wouldn't have that chance to build up like that. And uh, and again, you know, the the, uh, the the filter will help as well. Uh, should should cut that in half. But I still believe that uh, you know maybe with that in place, we'll we'll raise that to every half a mil. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's uh, the systems really aren't that. Uh, uh, you know, if you take care of them, they're really not that bad. Yeah, and maybe that's the whole thing. You know, we were thinking this was complicated and, you know, we were never going to solve the problem. And, and maybe this is just a really big part of it. That much soot, you know, throughout the engine in the systems on sensors clearly could cause the problems. And when you've cleaned up the soot, we've seen really good results. So, you know, that might be 90% of what we've been facing. You know, put a filter on it, keep the soot out, have, oh, come in once in a while, have the maintenance done, it, and that may solve a lot of what we've been fighting with. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I really believe that. Well, that's exciting because that, um, 
you know, that really now is fairly simple. You know, we, we have a maintenance procedure. We have an interval. We know the cost. It's not nearly, I mean, it is, it is minuscule. The cost of maintaining it is minuscule compared to the cost if you don't maintain it. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's really not that bad. It's not, not that bad of a job. Uh, we're like, we're getting better and better at it. We're learning. Um, Paul left here. He still had a little problem when he left. If he's listening, I'm, I'm curious to know if, uh, if it cleared up, we had a, a, a secondary catalyst, uh, SCR, uh, efficiency error that uh, quite often is the def itself. And he says he keeps his topped up nonstop. So I asked him to run it as, uh, as low as he dare and then top it off and see if that, see if that fixed it or not. I'm not sure if he has it. He hasn't got back to me, so I'm hoping it's fixed. So, Paul, if you're listening, let us know. Call in. Yeah, he mentioned that. He, he you know, talked about that and said that's what he was working on. So um, we'll see if that, uh, if that takes care of that. Well, I don't have anything this week. Um, it's just been a, a busy week for me reading, researching, working on a bunch of stuff, but I don't have anything um, really new. We are now in... CMC mode. Um, it's getting getting close. I know September seems like it's a long way away, but it's not for us. So uh, we will be in CMC mode the rest of the time uh, till that event gets here because it's a big one. Uh oh, we lost John and Ethan. We will uh, work on getting them back. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, calls are starting to roll in. Uh, I am going to get to one of the calls because I see the topic, and I certainly have some opinions on this. And then uh, by that time, we should have those guys back in here, and we'll let them jump in as well. But let's start in Idaho. Dixie, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Doing great. What's on your mind today? Well, I uh, just bought a uh, 96 Peterbilt 379. It's a short nose. It has the uh, 60 series motor in it. Um, was really excited. I picked it up from a friend of mine's brother who retired. He was only the second owner. Um, basically, I wanted to get away from the new air trucks, just for what you were talking about, the after treatment. I I've had, it's just been a nightmare for me with every truck I've had, so okay. this one, and I was really excited. There's been a ton of work done on it, and uh, basically, I haven't had a year of this truck since my logging days 100 years ago, so my main uh, getting used to it and learning it, it actually still had the owner's manual in it, <laughs> and uh just basically wanting to know, I had to put a new, uh, my first trip out, the bad news is the transmission blew. Got a Super 10 in it. I'm now in the process of putting a 13-speed in it. And basically just wanting to know, I know all the upgrades for fuel mileage and things and the money that I'll be putting into it. But mainly the, the top things that I can do to, uh, you know, take care of the engine and the, because of the age and all of you know, basically all that kind of stuff, trying to just get it straight in my mind, preventative maintenance and all that for the older engine, et cetera. Yeah, so uh, I see John and Ethan are back. I'll bring those guys in. Um, John, Ethan, how much of that did you hear? Not a whole lot. What is the engine? I didn't, I caught the, we caught the tail end of it maybe there. 
Yeah, a 96 Series 60, so probably D-Deck 3 in a uh, 379. Um, how many miles are on it, Dixie? Uh, original miles was, when I got it, 1,299,477. It has had an in-frame with 196,000 on it. Okay, so the in-frame done right around a million. We've got a little over 1.2 now. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, um, has he, was he a listener of the show? Did he do any of the modifications we talk about here? No, he, uh, okay. he maintained everything, but he didn't do, he just basically was three-quarter time delivering the grocery stores, but uh, he was a mechanic and did a lot of uh, work on it, but nothing in far as uh, upgrades. Yeah, my guess okay. is the crankshaft damper's never been replaced. I would certainly do that. Um, you know, all the upgrades we talk about will work on that truck. Virtually everything we talk about, you know, works really well on that truck for both lowering fuel cost and maintenance cost. Um, John, Ethan, anything else you guys want to add to that? Find out at a million too. Find out if when that in frame was done, if they they did the bull gear. Uh, if, if it's still original to a million two, you'll want to get in there and do that. So that would be you do the damper balancer and bull gear just for door, durability. When that bull gear wears, it tends to rock in there, and what'll happen is it'll start hitting the sensor. So once once wow. it hits the position sensor for the engine, you'll you'll start getting some odd check engine lights and stuff, uh, which is actually a good warning. It does that before it fails catastrophically and gears come flying apart. So I would try to do some research if you could talk to the previous owner and see if they did the bull gear when they did the in-frame because at that mileage, that should definitely definitely be done on that engine. Um, you know, aside from that, I'm going to go to the basics. Uh, the damper and balancer first, uh, manifold and turbo, increase some response, get it breathing a little bit easier. The uh, fleet air filter is a really nice item. It's got serviceable filter elements that you can clean. Uh, you know, the upfront expense is uh, – a little bit, but it breathes a whole lot better than a paper filter, and it's uh, it's you know you can service it yourself, uh, which is nice. And then I'd move on to uh, you know the fast. That engine responds pretty well to having the the fast on it, and uh, maybe some tuning then. Great, yes, that's. I was wondering the turbo. It has a new starter, a newer alternator. The turbo is about four years old, so I was told I would want to change that out pretty soon. Uh, yeah, maybe you're they probably, go out. Uh -huh. You might be close right. on that if it's a factory turbo. Um, you know, I've seen them go a million miles. It might not. If uh, if it's got a wastegated turbo that somebody's pinched off the hose, then it's not going to last quite as long because it spins a little too fast. So that happens sometimes. Uh, but, uh, you know, our turbo and manifold, that's not all that expensive. And it uh, really, you know, that's that's a good stepping stone. That's the first one. You know that gets the engine breathing a little bit better, the ported and polished manifold, um, and the you know the bigger turbo. So that's a that's a that's a big jump, and that's you know I think what 35 horsepower or so right out of the box, something uh, like that, I've maybe more. Dynoed it before, and I've seen anywhere from 25 to about 40 at yeah. the wheel, depending on the. All right, with that, we're going to get to a break. We'll be right back with more stuff.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get right back to your phone calls. We're off to Wyoming. Scott, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. I've got a, a 2012 Columbia Glider with a 127 Detroit, and I've got your tune in it, and I have all of a sudden got major fuel dilution. I, I took it in in, I don't know, January or February. I had a Davco unit that was sucking air. I had them replace that, and I had them go in and check the overhead at the same time, and it's since that happened that I've, I went from virtually zero fuel dilution to 6%. Oh, that's big. Hey, you've got a, yeah. you've got an injector O-ring that's weeping. That's, uh, get into a good shop and have them pressure test the fuel rail. They could, they could, uh, you know, pressurize it with shop air, hopefully with a regulator, uh, and, uh, look at the injectors from above and you'll see one bubbling. Okay. And that's my next question. I, I'm on my way to Reno right now. There's a couple crappy loads that I can get, get out to you guys. How much notice do you guys need to get this thing in? And will you let me look over your shoulder while you do the work? Uh, that's a touchy subject with my mechanics, but uh, generally, yes. Uh, mo- mo- most people we do. The uh, we could get you in probably if you give me a day or two notice for a job like that, something uh, quick. If you know if you were scheduling an in frame or something, I might need more notice. But uh, for something like that, I could get you. You know, if you give me a two or three day heads up, I'll be good. We'll take okay. care of you. Okay, that's that sounds good. I good. will be giving you guys a call as soon as I know I'm going to be out there. Terrific. Thanks a lot. Thank All right. you. Um, you know, um, John, it's amazing to me how many trucks we've caught over the years with fuel dilution, and there's no other signs. I mean, people think, oh, if I'm getting fuel in my oil, I'm going to know it. I'll smell it. I'll see it. The, I'll, you know, I'll know the level will be different. But, you know, it doesn't take much fuel to really degrade the oil and start to do damage to the engine. And it's just so easy to catch on an oil sample, as long as you're using the right lab. I will say that, you know, 10 years ago, every lab was catching fuel dilution. But with all the new blends and biofuels and the low sulfur, most labs, I, I get a lot of other lab reports and I'll see viscosity way down so I know something's wrong and they have no fuel dilution listed whatsoever. And then we'll run a sample through Polaris and we'll come back with four and five percent fuel dilution. So it's nice that at least we have secondary, you know, viscosity to to warn us, but most labs can't even pick up fuel dilution anymore. If you, you look at modern diesel fuel, it's almost got no, hardly any color. Uh, it's, it's almost got no scent at all. So, you know, all the chemicals and such that were in there, the indicators that were in there that the uh, the analysis would pick up, are, a lot of them are gone. So, yeah, so it's probably really hard for them to, to catch that. Yeah. On the other hand, we have to look at Polaris. You know, theirs is so sensitive that, you know, four, which used to be just outrageously high, Four on theirs is just where I start to worry now. You know, if we're at two or three, a lot of times it's just excessive idling or, you know, nothing pretty major. But when we get over four on Polaris's sample, it's true fuel dilution. But the nice thing is we're catching it long before it does any damage at all. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, for a, a very small cost of being on a good oil analysis program, rather than wiping out a set of bearings or an engine with a lot of fuel dilution, which we've certainly seen happen, um, it's a great way to go. Let's get to some more phone calls. Let's go to Minnesota. Brandon, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? yesterday changed an alternator on my truck i got a 98 century class c12 in it and i was having a little bit of issues with us dropping voltage on my scan gauge and on the dash voltmeter so i knew i figured something was up i figured more than likely alternator so when i got out and smacked it you know then it, the voltage picked up again to where it was supposed to be it was running down about 11.9 and then it, it picked up to about 13.6 13.8 when i smacked it with a hammer <laughs> so I figured, well, my alternator's on, about on its way out. I need to get it replaced. And I got into town, picked up an alternator, put it in, and I went to go deliver my load, get in my truck, hit the key. I realized I have no power to my cab whatsoever. Now, I didn't disconnect the batteries when I did the alternator. I didn't arc anything when I disconnected the battery wires from the alternator. I have power at my batteries. Battery t- all tested out. I, I unhooked them later. They all test out good. Uh, I found I have power to the starter solenoid on the firewall, on obviously on the one side. And uh, if I ran a jumper from it to the alternator wire, then I have power in my cab again. What am I missing? Ethan? Did you check to make sure that the uh, cab ground is still still intact? Yep, it is. Hmm. That would be my first thoughts. Um, the second, you said, what did you jump power to? I jumped power from the relay for the starter that's on the firewall. I believe that's a starter relay. And then uh, went over to the the positive plug on the alternator. Of course, that's where that other wire, you know, that other alternator wire is hooked up. So I don't know if there's if there's, is there like a fuse they put in between there, just in case of you know a short or. On some trucks, yes. Um, there's like a, a master. Now there's that extra voltage <clears throat> sense wire to pick up the voltage. The actual voltage at the bat. So they have the smart sense. It's called. That's that other wire. Yeah, that could be too. Yeah. Um, to the regulator. Yeah, and it could have a low voltage cutoff in the truck. Yeah, it makes up for a voltage drop to the uh, battery. Yeah, I don't. I don't have like the battery protection where it, you know, kills everything until you restart or anything like that. Hmm. Seen on one on I one of them a, that I we had. I had a problem in... with my other truck with that. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen it once in this shop that there was a, a master fuse that went bad. I don't know if they called it a fuse. They had a, a, a special name for it. Okay. And it was causing funny things to happen in, in the cab. But in his case, it, it got water in it and filled up. And it would work sometimes and sometimes wouldn't. Well, that wouldn't surprise me if something like that would happen, but... I don't know where yeah, I, the chances where of uh, two things like that. <laughs> the chance of two things happening at once though is usually pretty rare. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I'm just, yeah, just kind of wondering if may, maybe, you know, like if there was some kind of a fuse in line, if may, maybe I didn't arc something and not, not even notice it. But, you know, I've been changing alternators and dealing with batteries for a long time. You usually notice it when you arc something. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the little weld, the little weld mark on your wrench that's there forever tells you too. Yeah, like, oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, and I didn't, I didn't get rough with any of my wires. I mean, I didn't pull on them like, like I was hanging on for dear life or anything. So. Yeah. I think it's a test light out and start poking around. How you just got to go from one end to the other. Yeah, I would check. The, there's, there should be a main, main wire that goes into the cab. And where the fuse panel is, and make sure that it has power there. Well, you see, that's I, I checked where I had power coming in at. Now I guess here, here's where it gets a little tricky. Maybe I was leaving some information out. Where the power comes into the, the main fuse block in the cab, I had 3.3 volts coming into that at that time. Hmm. Well, that's, that's not enough. Yeah, it's definitely low. Yep. And, but, you know, like I said, batteries tested out good. I had, you know, I got, uh, what was it, 12.6 up here at that uh, relay for the starter, or the solenoid for the starter. So. Now, does the, is that what, that is a starter cell. Well, so you need well, to find whatever I, sort of breaker there is between the I, cab. When I, okay. I There's got to be some sort, sort of breaker in there or something, either a fuse. Something knocked it down to 3.3 there. You've got a lot of resistance from something. Okay. Yeah, I wish I could fix this one over the phone. That's something I would need to spend some time and a, uh, you know, some time with a, you know, test light or a meter on it and figure that out. Yeah, this one looks like it's going to be a little trickier. You're going to have to get hands on that one. We're uh, coming up on a break, so I'm going to take us into the break. We're going to come right back. We're going to get to more of your calls and questions right after this. So stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. Always something new happening over there. So if you haven't been there in a while or if you have been there in a while, head on back over. It's CMC season. Registration is open. We are working hard on making it the best event ever. We always manage to pull it off somehow. We uh, have possibly have lane four this year. We are still working on some of the details on that. We'll keep you updated, but three lanes, lots of information. You can sign up on the website or, or anything you need. You can always call our tribe care team, 855 855- 800 fuel 855-800-3835 we'll be right back stick around i'm kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get back to your calls. We are off to Utah this time. Brent, welcome to the program. 
Yeah. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. How are you? Oh, I've got a 2013 uh, Kenworth P660 that I only had about, I've only had a couple months, got about 20,000 miles on it since I bought it, the pack R455. I uh, got a couple questions about power and fuel economy. It's just, uh, I've, I've had, I've driven a couple of 455 Packers before, and uh, both of those trucks seemed like they had a lot more power than this one does. It seems a little bit sluggish to spool the turbo. Uh, occasionally, you'll have your foot clear on it, and it, and it really doesn't want to do anything. It just kind of sits there, and then after two or three seconds, it'll finally start to spool again. So I'm wondering if that might be uh, if it's a turbo issue, a fuel injector issue, a computer issue, or if you have any ideas for me. It could be, it could be many things. We had one in here that was struggling a little bit uh, last week. And ended up being the harness on the after-treatment system because it was putting it into a bit of a D-rate that uh, it didn't really, you know, there there are some hidden codes. Uh, have you have you checked the uh, engine? Have you checked your codes? Is there anything uh, stored in there? Yeah, I mean, not recently. We I did take it in shortly after I bought it. It threw a code. Uh, they cleared it off, and I haven't had any codes since then. So, no active codes. It does have the uh, I can't remember what it's called, a little computer screen in there that shows uh, any of the active codes, and it doesn't show anything on it. Does it show any of the stored codes? This, the device on the screen, that does, does not, no. So. Okay. Yeah, I would have to hook up to it and see. It would be something big. If it was a problem with the turbo or something else, it would... Uh, it knows. It knows what kind of boost it should be making. It's got speed sensors on that thing. It knows what it should be doing. So it would tell you if there was a problem there. So to keep uh, looking, I mean, the thing to do really will be to get it. Uh, you know, if you could get it here, that would be ideal. Uh, maybe we could figure it out for you. But uh, get to a good shop that uh, could look for stored codes. And like I said, there are some uh, hidden D rates on that uh, pack car as well, much like the Cummins. So we need to you need to figure out what those are. But it sounds to me like okay. it's not happy about something. It's running on some sort of a D rate. Yeah, this seems uh, this definitely doesn't seem happy at times. I mean, it, it, if I'm not working it, it just floats along. Everything's just fine. I mean, it still doesn't get much for fuel economy. I don't know what it should be getting, but um, but it's doing the same low. I've got a friend that I work closely with, and he's doing the exact same thing in a 2014 Volvo, and he's getting seven miles per gallon or better, and I'm getting five eight to six two. No, you should be doing better than that. You should be in the sevens also. Yeah. Yeah, there's some. Uh, it doesn't, it's, seem, it's un- doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter either whether it's heavy loaded or light. Uh, last week, the load I carried was 80,000 both directions. Like, we're out of Utah and we go to Northern California every week. Uh, 80,000 pounds going out, 80 going back. This week, I went 80 out. And I came back with about 40,000 growth, and it only made like two tenths of a difference in fuel economy. And that's running 65 miles an hour yeah we definitely need to get our get our hands on that one i mean if you could check the basics make sure you don't have a boost leak that you don't know about some things like that first uh check for restriction but there should be sensors on all that stuff that would tell you if it had a, had a restriction problem or i think that's got something on there on that fuel system I mean, uh, we would see fuel pressure drop if it was bad right. enough but it may be at that intermediate point right where it's it, not quite bad yeah enough. it's still worth checking yep uh, 
but yeah, get, have the basics covered. Then you know the thing to do, try and try and get a if you could find a way to get a load out here, that'd be ideal. Okay, I think I'll plan on that. Do you have uh, any recommendations for the northern east area or somewhere in that region? No, I don't, unfortunately. Okay, okay. all right. Well, I'll see if I can. I would also right. uh, do an oil sample. That's always good information when we're trying yeah, to track that's, that. Yeah, that's good info, too. Yep. Let's, uh, well, we're going to stay right there in Utah. We're going to talk to Gary this time. Gary, welcome to the program. Yeah, hey, Kevin, I've talked to you before on my uh, 09 Pro Star with the C-13. Uh, okay. Got that PDI. Uh, no offense to your guys there. I never get out on the east side. I got PDI done my truck, and ever since then, I've had no problems. I've, I have a broke down in 450,000 miles, which is great. Uh, two things. Uh, I was getting ready to put a fast system in here. Uh, they're wanting to take off my filter, my regular, you know, glass see-through filter to mount the fast system. Is that normal? I thought the fast Absolutely. system was just extra. No, oh, it takes the, if you've got, if you've got a Davco on there, you want to take that off. Yeah. You don't want to okay. pull through it. If you pull through it, that, that air that's at the top of the Davco, we, the fast moves enough volume that it'll pull, actually pull air into it, uh, oh, through the top okay. of that. If there's any if there's any uh, resistance behind it, it'll actually draw that air through. And uh, yeah, okay, so you definitely with, with, with the fast. Yeah, that's all you need is the fast. You won't need the the Davco on top of it. Okay, okay, yeah, I couldn't find any anything on the internet on whether they were supposed to be taking it off or not. I thought it was just an add-on, but okay. Uh, second thing, I've got a starter issue that's been intermittent, and it turns out, uh, like I said, I've got the C13 Cat. Uh, the starter works fine. It's a damn solenoid hanging off the side, uh, but you can't re just replace the solenoid. Can I put a bump? Can I run uh, tag wires to that? And just put a bumper switch on it, turn my key on, and have the old bump button. <laughs> uh, technically, you can. Yeah, there's no reason you can't do that. Okay. Well, it's the starter is only like it's it's out of warranty. It's like two and a half years old, but the starter is fine. It's a solenoid, and they're not replaceable. Everybody wants you to buy a whole new starter because it's part of the unit. Yep. Yeah, I know. We struggle with that here, too. It's just, that drives me crazy that you can't buy those anymore. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I didn't know it was either put a bump button on it because, like I said, I'm not going to spend when the starter's fine. I'm not going to spend $500 plus to put another starter on it when the starter works. Uh, I've been roll starting my truck for, like, I don't know, three or four weeks. I don't care. I park on a hill. Uh, could you could you go don't run out of air? You're, you're probably yeah. Oh, oh no, I've got good. I've got my truck is, is top notch. It's like for an old beat up truck. It's like my nothing wrong with my truck. It just uh, it, I was thinking older Ford. Wasn't there a two wire solenoid off the older Fords? Yeah, you could you could do a separate solenoid to power that. So you sound like you have another problem. If you put a bump button on it, if you jump to the small post on the solenoid and it works. I think yeah. either your friction switch or something else isn't carrying enough amperage for the solenoid to pull the solenoid. Well, and that and that's possible. I've heard uh, horror stories about these uh, Pro Stars with that ignition switch. I didn't know if I should try swinging into a international dealer and grabbing a switch first and just seeing if if that's the issue. I'd try uh, one, or get, if you've got a friend with a voltmeter, stick a voltmeter on that small post on the starter, and while you turn the key and see if you get a full 12 volts to it. I'm going to bet that you're not. I, I think you've probably got a connection issue or a uh, 
ignition switch that's not uh, not carrying enough current to pull the solenoid. Okay, because I know I did mess up uh, here a couple weeks ago, and we did actually arc over the small solenoid to fire it up. Cause I and it, and it cranked, yeah. Yeah, oh, I yeah would, it, uh, fires, it fires right up. It's like there's yeah. no issue with the starter itself. It's, you know, so we were thinking solenoid. Yeah. So you're thinking, well, check, uh, the check uh, make sure that wire that, that, uh, that triggers the solenoid, the, the exciter wire for the solenoid from the ignition switch is uh, carrying enough current for the, uh, to, to actually pull the solenoid. Okay, okay, very good. I appreciate it. Uh, Kevin, by the way, uh, that uh, tune that I got there when we talked a few years back, well, like I said, it's 450,000 miles now. Uh, I've got this C13, which was getting five on average. I've got it up to a little over seven. So that's uh, outstanding. That's a real good job out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And all I've done is the uh, I've got good, uh, good tires on it. Uh, the highest ones you can get, and I've got the uh, that filter on here. That's all I've done, other than I just drive modestly. You know, I don't get in a hurry. Yeah. But well, you know, 60, I 63 to 67. You know, depending on what my day looks like. Yeah, I had the same experience on my C13. Pittsburgh Power just did a quick tune in the parking lot, and and what a difference that made. So. Um, that engine obviously needs a little help, but when you give it a little help, you get results. So that's good to see. Um, I got to get back to you guys so you can dig a little deeper into it, though. I get it over here. Yeah, you need to, you need to come for a visit sometime here soon. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be that time of year. We got to get out on the road anyway, so we'll uh, we'll see. Last year we just spent way too much time on the road. Almost six months last year. Um, this year we're going to try to hold it down to about three and we've got, uh, we'll head out for Dallas in August and then we'll go from Dallas to, uh, council bluffs for the CMC. And then we haven't decided what we're doing after that. So that might be a good time to head that way. We'll be right back with more stuff. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford. All right, a quick heads up. We're heading into the final segment of the first hour. We are going to do two hours today, and it looks like there's some room for questions. So if you jump in right now, press one on your phone, we will be able to get to you in the next hour. Let's get started. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power with me. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get back to some phone calls. We are off to, oh, look, I think Paul is checking in. Paul, welcome. Yeah. 
Sooty is here. This truck is hey, like, hey, similar. <laughs> this truck is similar to Motel Six. We'll leave the check engine light on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave the light on for you. That's that's how you can think of me all the time. I left the light on for you. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, Paul, Paul, when I when I check into fuel gauges now, I expect to for your truck to be Motel Six. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't use fuel gauges. I still do it old school on my, in the back of my book. So. Well, there's your um, problem. I still got. No, I know my fuel mileage. <laughs> not, not as good as my old Caterpillar. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I still got those two same codes up: four three six four and one three eight seven. My DEF is. I'm just below a quarter of a tank, so I'll probably be buying some more. Tomorrow, so yeah. Well, that was the easy solution that you could do was uh, get the death freshened up. If not, uh, yeah, try to uh, gonna have to schedule back over here. There are two other things we could look at for those codes. Um, like I said, that's a secondary catalyst uh, efficiency error. And the number one thing they tell you to do in the troubleshooting trees is go to fresh, uh, fresh death. Uh, if it's contaminated at all, or if it's not uh, doing what it's supposed to, that's the, that's the error that will come up. Uh, aside from that, it could be the second, uh, the downstream knock sensor or the catalyst itself. So that's, uh, that's all that's left on that, um, for that one. So, but yeah, we'll need to, if that doesn't go away, we're going to have to uh, get you back in here. Is it running all right? Otherwise it hasn't thrown you into a D rate, has it? No, no, it's been going like a monster a couple of times on Friday. I was at. 39.9 on the boost gauge pulling the hill, so I wanted to see if it was going to go right, but and it, it's going just fine. Haven't had to put any oil in it either. Oh, so that helps. So the oil flush helped with that then? Well, it, it, when I pulled the dipstick out this morning, it it, it looks like a, it's like clean. I can still see through it. So, whereas before you'd change the oil and the next day it was black as charcoal. So. Good. That that process really works. That oil flush. That's another one. That, you know, some of you with the uh, modern engines, if you get some oil consumption before you rebuild it, let us uh, bring it in. Let us do the oil flush on it. And that uh, chemical that's in that thing has got to be some nasty stuff. It actually cleans the carbon that's built up around the rings, so it gets the rings moving freely again. And uh, you know, sometimes it seals them back up, like we did with Paul's here. So yeah, that's a worthwhile uh, thing. I think we get like 275 bucks for that job. It's a it's a no brainer. But, uh, yeah, if you have uh, any consumption issues at all or, you know, some miles on uh, any of the EGR engines, it's uh, it's worth doing. Hey, Paul, when you get in here, I'll be ready. Uh, I didn't have one. I was I was building it on that truck that was in here beside yours when you were here last week. But uh, I'll have one of the uh, one of the soot traps ready for you when you come back, too. A Dorothy or a Toto. <laughs> you got it. It's a Dorothy. So she's cuter than Toto. <laughs> yeah, it probably it probably still means one. Yeah, it does, especially after looking at what we cleaned out of your uh, out, of your, out of your intake there. Yep. Yeah, it's like you know to clean out the soot, they needed a, a square mouth shovel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that soot perpetuates soot. I, I've got to do some more research on the chemistry there, but I really think the particulate matter traveling through the combustion process. I think that those. Uh, 
those particles are where the the next batch of particles uh, accumulate. I think it gets larger each time it goes through. Because uh, you know, we see initially we see we catch a good bit uh, when we first install the the soot trap, and it seems to stabilize. It seems to stop producing as much uh, as it runs with it. So I think that uh, once you stop ingesting that stuff, it doesn't make nearly as much either. So that uh, that, that you know, it all works well. makes makes a big difference. Yeah, well, I'm guessing I'm probably going to come back up there, so but it's not going to be this week or next week. I can tell you that. So yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll probably make another appointment. So, yeah, give it give it a couple, couple weeks. You know, yeah, we'll take care of it. Yep. Okay. That All right. Sounds like All a right, plan. Paul. You know, John, I was going to say you mentioned the uh, oil flush. We haven't talked a lot about that, but we've tracked a couple trucks that have been through that process, and it's amazing how much cleaner their oil samples come back after they go through that. Yeah, again, maybe that's something we've got to keep an eye on, you know, when you see the soot start to come up or you see or the consumption, obviously. You know, Paul had a consumption issue. He's, he's you know, about ready to do an overhaul on that thing. So we were kind of careful about what we spent on it right now. Uh, but he, he uh, you know, he mentioned that he want to get in for it. But if we could solve his oil consumption issue, he may, you know, be able to put that uh, that overhaul off for another few hundred thousand miles. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. And clean oil samples are nice, too. Let's... Uh... I think we can squeeze another call in here. Let's go to Ohio. James, welcome to the program. Hey, fellas. Uh, huge fan of the show. I appreciate what you guys do. I just have a couple uh, quick questions. I have a uh, O2 Freightliner uh, Century with a uh, 12.7 Detroit, and I got a bad head gasket. And I remember um, the Pittsburgh Power guys were talking about uh, they had a head gasket uh, that they were, I guess it's a uh, – it's a taller gasket than the OEM specs, but I can't find it in the store. Is that something you guys still are uh, carrying, or, we, or? Yeah, I don't know. I guess we don't have that on the website. I'll have to, uh, since I'm the, I'm, I'm also uh, the webmaster from time to time now, which is not necessarily a good thing. I'll have to make sure we put it on there. But we've got it. Uh, I just got 20 of them in, so we've got them in stock. And okay. uh, give us it's, a call, and uh, we'll get one out to you. It uh, generally. The thicker gasket does a, does a couple of things. If you've had an out-of-frame rebuild done and they surface your block, you've only got about seven thousandths uh, to take off without uh, uh, throwing the geometry off with the uh, the gear train in the front of the engine. So this puts all the geometry back where it belongs. It's a little sturdier of a gasket, so if you've got some some imperfections, you know, on the other hand, it'll it'll help with that. And a touch thicker, it'll pull a little bit of compression out of it too, which. Uh, if you've got the 16.5 engine, that's that's a good thing. If it's a 15 to 1 engine, it's not such a good thing. So uh, a couple of variables there. Uh, the, the benefits from it are generally, like I said, it, it, it gives an engine a second life if uh, if the block has to be surfaced. And it, it heals up a little bit better. Yep. Good deal. Uh, second but, part yeah, to this. Give us a call. We're going to go ahead and, do the, uh, go ahead and change out the head gasket. I'm going to go ahead and put the uh, um, exhaust manifold on as well. Um, and looking through your store, for my engine, the two options are a high mount or a low mount exhaust manifold. How do I know what I have before I pull it off? There are numbers cast into the center section. Uh, you're going to find a four-digit number cast into the center section on your, uh, you know, on your truck. You may need a mirror to look at it or something, but they should be pretty obvious. The numbers are at least a half-inch tall, maybe bigger. Uh, so get that four-digit number and give us a call here. 
Sean uh, could help you out. Sean's our, he's the one who knows the manifolds pretty well. So, but call and ask for Sean. He'll uh, he'll straighten you out on the uh, manifold and the and the head gasket. Outstanding. And then final question uh, for Kevin. I know you're a, a big fan of the uh, Shell Rotella um, synthetic, and I run pretty regional uh, here in uh, Ohio. Are you running the uh, same viscosity summer and winter for uh, the T6, or are you changing that viscosity up in the wintertime? Which are you using? Uh, well, right now I'm using uh, mobile Delvac, and I'm just not a big fan. I'm switching over to do the uh, Shell, uh, just T6 synthetic. I'm using 1540 now. But I was just curious if you recommend the 1540 in the winter time, since now this will be the first time I'm using it. It's just a full synthetic. You know, the the synthetic, the viscosity, it, it starts so well in the winter time. Um, you know, we look more at condition of the engine, which engine it is. You're safe with um, that. There's no question, you know, whether or not we want to go to a lighter viscosity. I'm not even sure. Um, with the new APIs, what's available as far as viscosity on the synthetic now? 540 is still available. There, There is a uh, 530 and a 1030, I noticed, uh, with the new, new spec. Uh, if you want to, anyone, you know, who wants a really neat, quick tutorial on how the viscosities work with, uh, with synthetics, it'll debunk uh, a lot of what people think. They're technically not thinner. Um, you know, that five number means that it flows the same as a five weight oil at a very cold temperature. And then the higher number, you know, is it, it 100 C or something is how it flows at the high number. So it's not what you think. Uh, so there's no reason that that five, 540 has got such a range that you could run that year round. No problem. Um, you know, maybe if you, you know, were splitting hairs and want to go to something thinner in the winter time you could but uh the five five forty's got such a such a nice range that uh i wouldn't uh i wouldn't wouldn't stray away from that any time of year and yeah if that's if you're you know hop on our facebook page i think i posted it a couple of months ago but i don't think there are only maybe three or four more posts since i i put up this uh tutorial on uh on synthetics that gives a really nice graph that shows exactly how it all works and how it flows and it, it puts it all into perspective in a really really simple manner but, yeah, uh, take the a look 540 at that. synthetic is what I've just used always year-round. It's great, great starting in really cold weather and excellent protection. Um, so that's what I would stick with. I would just use it year-round. We've got to get out of here. We will see you next time. Thanks for joining me. This has been the Power Hour. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, we're going to start a second hour. We're going to get right to your calls and questions, so we should be able to get to a bunch of them. It looks like if you jump in and press one right now, we might still be able to get to you in the second hour. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the power hour. 
I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, horsepower, torque, upgrades, modifications, troubleshooting, emissions, electrical, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and ask the question. And we always seem to have more questions than we have time. So I think tonight, guys, we're just going to jump right to questions. And then, unless there's anything you guys want to start with. No, let's go straight to questions. All right, let's do that. Let's see how many we can get to tonight. Let's start off in Georgia. Chad, welcome to the program going on guys hey real quick that guy that had the pack car on the last show if he's still listening sometimes on those pack cars uh you get one that has the fleet limit the fleets put those those limits on it that reduce its output i had a pack car in a fleet that they didn't put those on there when i first had and they put them on there and i went from 7.8 to five and a half on the fuel mileage so look at that when they when they hook up but i have an isx right now uh with the company i'm driving at and they're saying that there's a pretty bad soot bit up, but there's no check engine light. And I was just curious, what could that be for future reference when I get my own truck? Because I'm in the process of trying to do that. And the first thing I asked him was, could that be an injector overfueling a cylinder? He's like, no. I'm like, okay. <laughs> when, they, when they say there's a soot build up, that's, would, would that typically be a good place to start? Well, where where are they uh, claiming that there's a soot buildup, or they see it in the did oil analysis tell you that you had that, or did they? Where, no, where are they? no, he's it, he had it hooked up through the laptop. He said uh, the ECM there's a there's a gauge on it, I guess, for the ISX that he was looking at, and he said there was a soot buildup in it. But that's on your DPF. Yeah, he probably saw high pressure on the DPF, so you probably need either need it's going to either need a DPF at some point or uh, or it needs to be taken out and cleaned. A bad injector though can cause the DPF to plug up right. prematurely. It definitely could. Yeah. Right. Seen it in the shop. Yeah, that's what I was. But that's what I because because soot is unburnt fuel, ain't it? Yeah. So well, it's improperly burnt fuel, a fuel that's not burned efficiently. Okay. Right. Okay. Because there weren't any in check engine lights. Now, last week he he noticed it on uh, on it on Thursday when he when he was going through the doing all the updates and all that to the ECM, and uh, he said, "Do you know why?" And I told him, I said, "Well, uh, the previous week, so two weeks ago, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, it did a regen on the dash while I was going down the road for about a half an hour each of those days, about at about the same time in the day." Yeah, it might be time to have a cleaning done on the DPF, and you ought to. So this is not this is a company truck. This isn't your truck that you're, you're yeah, driving. No, in. no. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out. So when I get my own truck, because I really like the Cummins, all these Cummins ISX I drove for these companies, I have had not I have not had any problems with them. They've always run really good, really solid, and I'm probably going to get a Cummins because my grandfather had a big cam, and I'm just <laughs> asking so I know what I know. Believe me, the big cam in this motor, no, it's night and day. Uh, but I'm just asking so I know what to look for when I get them on track. Hey, if this pops up, now I know what to start looking for so I don't just start throwing money in the wind. Well, if it's again, if it's an emissions engine for 13 or newer or even even older than that, you know, 11 or newer, get it in, you know, after you buy it, depending on how many miles are on it, then, you know, ask questions about how recent the, if the DPF had been changed. You know, I've seen them go a million miles. It depends on how the truck's driven, if it's had other problems, if, uh, 
you know, if the sensor is dirty up and start giving bad information to the computer, then the computer will raise the flow of the EGR. It'll do other things that, that right. cause even more problem. So what you'll want to do is uh, find, you know, see if you can find the exact life of the DPF that's on it. If it's a used truck that you've bought, see how many miles are on that. See if they've ever done any uh, EGR and after treatment maintenance to it, or if they just responded to check engine lights when they got them. Uh, and, and then get it in here if you could. Uh, bring it, you know, if you get a load out this way somehow, bring it in and we'll do a full, uh, you know, full go over on the on the after treatment system and the EGR system. Oh, yeah. And you know, you, you'll be, you give you a fresh start then. And uh, you should be good yeah. to go for, you know, two, three hundred thousand miles then. Yeah, if I, when I get my truck, I'm bringing, first thing I'm doing is bringing it to you guys, have y'all open it up and get it running right. So, all right, gentlemen, I appreciate it. I'll just uh, get back and listen to the rest of the show. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Call. Yes, Let's head off to Kentucky. Steve, welcome to the program. How y'all doing today, fellas? I got uh, some questions for the three wise guys. <laughs> I got a Caterpillar got a <laughs> 5EK. Uh, I work a lot, and it sits in my building. Well, I started it up last week, and all of a sudden it ran fine for probably about 10 minutes warming up, then it just started missing. Took it to the shop, popped the valve covers, uh, took the injectors out. All of them tested. They were shot. So um, they were saying when they looked at them, they pulled them apart, cleaned them. They said I had a lot of condensation, and the truck actually do sit a lot in my building. And my question is, um, what I've heard mechanics say, oh, you shouldn't keep a lot of fuel in your tanks, or you shouldn't, you should keep a lot. I wanted to get y'all you know, input on how it's got like between a quarter and a half now. And what can I do to keep that condensation down and, you know, uh, just to keep from, you know, those injectors doing what they were, you know, the mess I have now. Well, as far as condensation in the tank, um, I, I've always kept things full as often as possible. And certainly if you're going to park them, the less airspace there is, the less condensation can form. Um, John, Ethan, any ideas? Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah, keep them full. Uh, you know, if there's no surface area that's not being contacted by fuel, uh, that's where the that's where the condensation builds up. So it's gonna, you know, the cold aluminum is gonna pull some condensate, and you're you're in the south where it's humid, so that's gonna happen pretty rapidly, pretty easily. Um, so yeah, keep them full. Keep them as full as possible all the time. And with temperatures, now, if you're running short trips with it, if the if the fuel heats up and cools down often, then obviously that's going to happen a lot more. So you might want to top the tanks off before you park pretty often, and that's uh, that that could help keep that down. Was there condensation in the engine as well? Did they find some condensation under the uh, yeah they did on the yeah they did yeah that's going to be that's going to be problematic. Um, a second breather, I mean that's usually would do that on the really high performance engines to try and get some of the crankcase pressure out, but uh, the better that crankcase breathes, uh, the the less condensation you're going to have in there. So if it can, uh, if it's not sealed up, that uh, that's actually better. So you know so that's that a possibility. Will make those injectors do that. It make them seize up like it. Uh, it possibly could, yeah. If it sat for a long time and you had moisture attracted to them, you know, dripping off the the, the bottom of the uh, valve cover there, that definitely would uh, it wouldn't be good for them. You know, again, like I said, if it's a truck that sits a lot, that's something you're going to have to worry about, or you might want to fire this thing up pretty often just to make sure that doesn't happen if it's if it sits. Okay, great. Now, my last thing: do do I need to drain those tanks, Kevin? Do y'all think I need to drain those tanks, or what if I don't have 
attitude do you think I, what kind of fuel attitude do I need to do just once? Because they're putting it back together now. So do I need to have them to just drain those tanks or do I just need to just add a good, I use standardine when I can get my hands on it. I wouldn't drain them. I don't think we need to go that far because it's usually pretty easy to get rid of. What we want to do is things to stop it from continuing to happen, keeping your tank, because you're in one of those situations where you've got everything working against you. You're in a high humid, humidity environment. It's You're using it intermittently. It's shorter trips sometimes. All of those things are going to work to build condensation. Keep the tanks full. Um, any good fuel additive, um, John, Ethan, I'll let you guys jump in. Um, there's probably something you like for that to get rid of the water. Uh, and I would also recommend, um, the OPS with the, um, heating element on there. We tend to get a lot of that moisture out of the oil in the crankcase when it does start to build up in there. So I think keeping the tanks full, you know, using a good fuel additive once in a while and the OPS will take care of this. Okay. Johnny, y'all yeah, added specific fuel, uh, specific uh, treatment. We we believe in the Lucas product here. We use that. I don't know what that'll do for moisture, though. We use Penray generally for cleaning. Um, I believe that displaces moisture. I don't know what we have here that uh, specifically for moisture. I don't have a preference. So if you've had good luck with Stanodyne, I'd, I'd go ahead and use that. Okay. That's what I'll do then. I so appreciate yeah. you guys. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Have you. a good day. Thanks for the call. I'm looking at the clock. It looks like we're going to run into a break. So we're going to do that. And I will take us around the corner. We'll come back and get to more of your calls and questions right after this. This is the Power Hour. I've got me from Pittsburgh Power doing all the heavy lifting. I'm here pressing buttons and uh, putting in my nickels worth once in a while. We'll come right back and do that some more right after this. Don't go away. I'm Kevin Rutherford. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're off to Indiana. Jimmy, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Good. Okay, I'm looking at uh, new old trucks, uh, and uh, I have two specs, and I, ha I have a question about idling. Uh, they're both 2014 Cascadias. I'm going to be driving between 65 and 68. 
One of them is a nine speed with two 93s and it has an APU. The other one is a 13 speed with 370s and it doesn't have an APU. And uh, I'm wondering which is gonna be the better truck. The nine speed is a 13 speed convertible, if that would help. But uh, I'm worried about idling the truck with no APU and the DPF. Well, I'll jump in with, with my opinion on pre-emission engines. Um, John, it was kind of interesting. You know, I, I listened to all the things everybody said about, you know, how hard idling a diesel engine was on it. And, you know, it put so many hours of, you know, life, you know, took so many hours off the life when you idled it. And then they started recommending, well, it's because of the lower temperatures. So bump up the idle to high speed. And, and I recommended that for years. And then I started just really, really diving into oil samples, thinking, you know, maybe that would tell me something. And we could not tell a single bit of difference in an oil sample from somebody who idled a lot at low idle or at fast idle. And I thought, you know, if you think about how many hours you're going to idle this engine over its lifetime and how much more fuel you burn at high idle rather than low, it just didn't make any sense to me to, to bump up the idle speed. I mean, certainly not idling is better, but APUs are ten or $12,000 and they still require fuel and maintenance and everything else. So sometimes maybe the answer is just idle when you need to. Um, that's kind of the conclusion I came to is that, you know, maybe even though idling isn't great for the engine, um, it still may be our most cost effective way of providing, you know, power and heating and cooling when you need it. Now, with the emission engines and the DPF, that may be a different story. What are you guys seeing? I don't have a big problem with it. I think that a lot of the, you know, a lot of those opinions are left over from the mechanical days when the, uh, Engine, yeah. there was no engine yeah. management. You know, it was it was a, some springs and weights and a pump that told it what to do, uh, rather than a computer that could handle it. But even the Series 60, some of them had a cylinder deactivation at idle, didn't they? Yeah, some of them had what's called half engine mode. Half engine mode. Uh, in the modern stuff, I know the new newer DD15s are. You know, the programming is such, and the fuel management is so careful that you're probably not going to see a difference in engine life or longevity. Now, there there could be a problem with the after treatment. It's you know, the exhaust temp is so cool that it might be hard for the uh, DPF to stay clean, but the uh, the engines are so efficient that you shouldn't be producing a, a lot of soot or anything there at idle. And I know, again, the new the new Detroits, I know use cylinder deactivation, and like I said, the fuel management is so precise that, you know, I'm not surprised that you don't see, you didn't see anything, you know, in the, in the oil samples. So I personally, with the brand new trucks, and, you know, the 14 is certainly new enough that, uh, you know the management systems are so good that uh, I don't, I don't, I personally don't have the problem. I mean, there's a lot of leftover opinion about that in the world, but the uh, the modern engines shouldn't have a problem with it. And if it's a certified clean idle engine, you know there are things that it has to do uh, to stay keep itself clean there. And it will, you know, if it had to go into a regen, I think it would even. Yeah, it'll, it'll request a dash regen. It'll request regen. a dash regen, yeah, if, it's, if you're idling, if there's a problem. So I don't think it'll hurt itself. I don't think it'll get to the point where it plugs the DPF or causes any issues with the after treatment at all. So to me, it's not that big of an issue anymore. I think technology's gotten to a point where, uh, where it's capable. You know, idling shouldn't be that big of a deal. 
I don't think the the over the road ones don't have an issue. The uh, the well site ones where the truck does nothing but sit. Yeah, I hear problems with those guys. That's the even, only time that there's a, a big issue with them. Even the Detroit guys have have troubles with that. Yeah, yeah. when the yeah. truck sits for well, 15 hours a day idling. Right. But yeah, a few hours at night is I don't see that being an issue at all. Okay, so nine speed convertible to a 13 with 293s or a 13 with 370s. So that that I'll, I'll, let, with, I'll let Kevin answer that. But yeah, the on. truck with the ninety threes. What year is that one? Uh, they're both fourteens. Okay, you know that combination, that nine speed convertible and two ninety three Swift did that um, back in the early two thousands, and they were kind of a disaster. They just were not getting good fuel economy at all. And what we found was when you convert it to the 13 speed, if you are willing to run really slow, like 55 to 60, most of the time, that gets awesome fuel economy. It is a really good combination if you're willing to run at 55 to 60 most of the time. And the conversion's only a couple hundred bucks. So you might as well say they both have 13 speeds because it's so easy to convert them. Um, so if you're willing to drive slow, that's a really good combination for fuel economy. If you're going to run, you know, primarily above 60, then I would stay away from that one. So the 13 with the 370s? Um, that seems like a really odd combination to me, too, on such a new truck. I, yeah, you know, we're just worse to me. That is worse. I, yeah, actually, neither one of <laughs> now the two ninety threes. Like I say, if you're willing to drive it slow, that could be a really good combination. The three seventies or three seventy threes in a thirteen speed on a fourteen model truck is just really odd. Right. I don't know who spec so that, but yeah, I I would stay away from that one. I'd right, go with the two nineties, well, the truck with the two nineties for sure. And go ahead two. and convert it to the thirteen speed. But, yeah, but but let me jump in here with something else. Because we're it sounds like we're making a truck buying decision based on the gear ratio, which is something I absolutely don't do because that's the easiest thing in the driveline to change. You know, I I really don't get all worked up about what gears are in a truck when I'm looking to buy it because I'll spend four or 5,000 to change gears instead. So, I, you know, I don't want to say, oh, yeah, go buy that truck because it has 290s or 293s. There's so many other factors you should be looking at. But of those two trucks, right. I, I, would, I would avoid the, the 370s completely. Yeah, uh it was a combination. I was really more worried about the APU, the DPS, and the idling. You know what I mean? I was yeah. using that more well, to make my I, decision. You know, I have always been the on the fence about, about APUs. And I know people love them, and when you have them, they're nice and convenient. But when you look at the cost of the APU itself, the cost of maintaining it, the fuel, it, it still uses fuel. I'm just not a big fan of, you know, an APU unless it's just pure convenience that you want it for. I, I just think there are so many better solutions 
Um, and if idling the truck is one of them, like John was saying, I just don't see a problem idling the truck. Well, I don't think it's taking any life off the engine. I, it's not doing anything to the oil samples. I, I really think that the, the electronics manage that so well that idling that engine may be our best option for power and heating and cooling. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the You're call. Welcome. John, we're coming up on a break here. So, you know, I'm glad to hear you kind of think the same way because you guys are seeing these engines every day. I, I've been on the fence about APUs for years. I've done, you know, cost analysis. And other than just the, the pure luxury and convenience of having it, um, I just have never been able to make an argument that they're cost effective. No, I, and I think they're pretty dirty, to be honest with you. I think the, the ones that, you know, I'll tell you, when they run here in the shop, they're kind of stinky, and they, they I'm sure they consume a significant amount of fuel. I really, you know, I know it sounds crazy, but I, I, the, the the truck engine is so much more sophisticated and has so many more capabilities, and it's got after-treatment on it and so forth. I I don't see how they're at all cleaner, to be honest with you. I don't think they're they're cleaner. I don't think they're more efficient. I, they probably burn just as much fuel. So, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the APU thing. I like batteries. I like the battery idea. I like a separate set of batteries and some solar panels. And there's so many. The battery technology has gone, you know, crazy. Uh, I'd still love to set a truck up with uh, with a Tesla Powerwall on the back of the cab. And, you know, that, you'd, be, you'd be set. I've been waiting for that. I've been on their list for so long. And, you know, now we're up to the Powerwall, too. I I signed up for the Powerwall one and never got anything. Now we've got the Powerwall <laughs> still haven't heard from them because I want to do the same thing. I want to put one on my coach. Yeah, put it on the coach. Yeah, and some solar to yeah. do it. And uh, you know, there there are cool things you could do with driveline powered alternators and things too that are very low, very very low drag and only charge when you're going down the road. So there's yeah, there are options. I, I'm with you. I just uh, have never been a huge fan of the full-blown APUs, and I think as electrical and battery technology keeps getting better and better, that I just really don't want another diesel engine on my truck. We'll be right back. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. John, talking about uh, you know, battery technology, uh, I got a chance to use one of my toys the other day that I was excited about. I bought one of these and put in every vehicle I own. Have you seen the little pocket jump starters they have now, the lithium ion? Oh, yeah. Yep. I, so we have construction going on here. feels like we've had it going on since we've lived here, but... Uh, so there's always somebody here. One of the contractors was in the driveway the other day and his pickup truck went and started, left his lights on, the battery was dead. And I'm like, hold on. Those things are absolutely amazing. <laughs> it, it, and you can pick them up now for like 60 or 70 bucks at Costco. And 
his battery was just dead. We were barely getting a click out of it. And this little pocket jump starters, like the size of a paperback book, a small paperback book. And, you know, it's got the alligator clamps and you just plug those in, connect it to the battery. That thing fired right up. And it claims yep. that it would start like 20 cars on one charge. Yep. No, that's, that's a fact. Uh, we've been using them on the race team for a while. Uh, the little cars that I work on, little formula cars that, you know, the, the cars I work with are called F2000 cars and they're uh, yeah, a small four cylinder version of an Indy car. And we're on what's called the Mazda Road to Indy. So the car is small and light and we just keep a very small battery on it. And it hasn't got much for a charging system either because that's all drag, right? So that translates into more horsepower to the ground if you're not giving it all to the alternator. So we try to size it all just to be, you know, so, so we have enough juice for a race. So to start the car and warm the car up and things like that, we have some of those little lithium-ion car starter things with a jump plug on them. And we'll literally disconnect the main battery from the car while we start it so we don't pull any energy out of it. And we started off as a little lithium-ion thing that you could put in your pocket in some cases. We've got some bigger ones too, but uh, they fire the thing right over all the time. That's what we start the cars on directly, not even assisting a battery that's already there. So... Like I said, the technology's there. You know, it, it's coming. It's 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 the it's all about energy storage now. That's what's gonna gonna drive you know the future. And uh, you know, we're gonna see it in everything. I I really really believe that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Like I said, when I when I first saw them, and, and they hold a charge for like a year, so it's not like you, yep. you've got to <laughs> think about it. You charge it up, throw it in, and you can charge them from the cigarette lighter if you do think oh you know it's been six or eight months i haven't charged it it's not like you have to even take it in the house to do it take it out of the glove yeah, compartment or trickle charges yep plug it in it charges itself back up and what a quick easy way to jump start a vehicle it was pretty yeah. awesome yeah it's amazing absolutely amazing yeah all right let's uh let's get to some more phone calls let's head off to north carolina calvin welcome to the program hey john i'm the one that talked to bruce about the x15 bringing it up to uh get yeah. dorothy put on it yep hey is it gonna be the same as the isx or is it gonna be different have you seen one yet it's exactly the same as the isx yep okay do i still yeah, need no to come up or yeah, what's it in? Uh, what's it in? I think it's uh, in a Pete, right? No, it's in a 680 KW. 680, okay. Yeah, get it. Uh, give me a call and I'll get you in. We'll because uh, that's going to be a slightly different application than uh, the one that I just finished. So uh, I may end up doing prototyping on your truck. If uh, okay, you know, yeah, I talked to Bruce okay. and we we yep. going to install the intake manifold too. And uh, oh, for sure. As uh, Ethan is the ECM completely different or are you going to be able to use the same power box you're going to have to redo another one for that too we do not have a power box with x x uh 15 and i'm pretty sure we're not going to so it's all tuning for that yeah we've only seen a okay. couple here so far being yeah. that they're so new yeah okay um kevin just so you know you can get 264 gears in a 13 speed now from the factory is that right didn't i have a call the other day where they said they couldn't I got them. That's what I thought. And I had a call the other day. Uh, it, thanks for the heads up on that. I appreciate it, John. I, I had a guy trying to spec a new truck and, um, you know, I talked about, 
you know, a 13-speed single over if they had it available because there's so many new transmissions on the market. It's hard to keep up with everything. Or a double and going with the 264 to 279 range on the ratio. And the salesman told him he was crazy, made no sense, um, which doesn't surprise me because they don't really know how to spec a truck. Um, but then he actually came back and said, oh, no, the engineer said we can't do it. And oh, wow. I said, how many times I've heard that kind of stuff from the engineers. And um, I said, I, 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 I don't know what to tell you other than go try a different dealer, you know, because there's absolutely no reason why you can't spec those gears with that transmission. And I don't know why as an industry, we took overdrive transmissions, but we drive them like direct drive. We, we have two overdrive gears and we spec the, the truck to run in the final gear. I, why not spec it to run in one of the lower gears and actually have a true overdrive gear? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the way it would work in anything else. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Semi-unrelated, I read somewhere that the new Cascadia has got a 220-something rear end. It's like I... almost – it's really, really – I've seen some really, really I haven't seen the 220 yet. I think I remember seeing some numbers in the 230s, which is pretty crazy. 220 is really out there. Um, but yeah, their, their new package, uh, the fuel mileage version of the uh, the DD15, they've got uh, one that they call an efficient. I forget the, forget the actual name for it, but it's got higher torque than the, the higher horse version. Uh, and the torque is at 900 and I think it was 900 even. Uh, 900 RPM, and it comes with a 220-something with their new 12-speed uh, transmission. And, you know, that's sounded, you know, crazy. But uh, evidently the new transmission uses GPS and uh, and all sorts of other info to know if you're on a grade or not, and there's all sorts of neat programming. And I think that's the whole package that Henry Albert's out there running around getting 10 miles to the gallon with right now. So, Probably, yeah. You know, it's interesting yeah. because this fits a pattern I've talked about before, we have a track record in this industry of bringing out technology before we know what the hell we're doing with it. And, you know, <laughs> in the early to mid 2000s, when we were starting to talk about emissions, they started talking about gear fast, run slow. And they started going to the 336s, the 323s, even the 308s in some cases, and trying to run those trucks in a double overdrive transmission with that kind of gearing. And it was a disaster. They didn't get good fuel economy at, at those RPMs. They, they kept telling us they should, but in the real world, they didn't. And we started saying, look, don't do the 336s. Either go to the 264s or stick with 355s because this low RPM thing isn't working. But it seems like now they've got it right that these engines do run well at low RPM. Well, I believe it's the, you know, it's, again, we'll get back to the management systems. I think the computers are smart enough to know what to do now, whereas before they didn't. So the, the extra RPM getting the engine in a, you know, a place where it's happy and, and the diesel engine's unique ability to run at multiple air fuel ratios. So, okay, so you run a little higher RPM, but the engine's not stoichiometric like a gasoline engine. You know, a, a gasoline engine's you know, burns a specific amount of fuel to turn a specific RPM. There's no, you know, there's very little, little movement. Uh, where a diesel engine could run at, you know, at 10 to 1 air fuel ratio and it could run at 200 to 1 air fuel ratio. 
So there was an efficiency thing there. You could run it faster to do that. But that was prior to, you know, the, the technologies that have been made with the engine management systems and the ability to, you know, turn off cylinders when they want to. I believe the new DD15 does that as well and, you know, pull them down to 900 RPM. And it's only able to do that because it's managing the fuel to such a degree that, uh, that it could do that and still run efficiently and still run at a higher air fuel ratio. Yeah, so I, I, I think that this time around, we really can go to those, you know, really high gear ratios, keep the RPMs low. And I think we're going to get really good results in a lot of ways, fuel economy, engine life, all kinds of things. Well, to, to me, that's the next frontier in fuel mileage with the modern engine is just turn them slower and slower and slower. I think that's going to be, uh, you know, now the ability is there to do that with the with the computers. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. I'm looking at the clock and it looks like we're going to have to get to a break. Not enough time right now before the break to jump into another call, but we will get back to the calls and questions right after this. So don't go away. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. It is time to start uh, getting signed up and prepared for the CMC. We're going to be talking a lot more about it. It's in September this year, I believe, 17th to the 22nd. We're back in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Uh, we have all three lanes going again this year, and there's a possibility we'll be adding a fourth lane. I'm still working on that. They have a couple more meetings to see if we can pull that off. Um, the fourth lane will be brokers or anybody interested in becoming a broker, and then we'll be able to create some... Uh, you know, real partnerships between small carriers and brokers at the event. So that's something we're working on. But on the carrier side, we still have all three lanes coming back and lots of great stuff. So you can sign up at the website, get more information, or you can always call. Remember, it only takes about $100 to get your seat locked up. We do have an awesome payment plan you can use. We'd love to see you there in Council Bluffs. Call us, 855 800 Fuel, 855-800-3835. We're going to be right back with more stuff. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me. We're going to get right back to your phone calls. We're off to Canada this time. Adam, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Uh, hi, John, Ethan, Kevin. Um, first, I'd like to say uh, thanks for getting back to me, John. About I'm Adam Finley that emailed you about the Packer issues there a couple weeks ago. Um, oh, no problem. Yeah. Um, first thing, I've got a truck spec question. Um, we just picked up a new contract. Um, it's local. It's about 100 miles each way, um, but loaded both ways, uh, over 100,000 pounds, aluminum B-train hoppers, Um it's going to be a T880 day cab, but I'm just wondering about gearing. Like we run in Ontario here, we're governed at 60 miles an hour. 
So I was thinking 18 speed with 420s. I was just curious about what you guys think about that. Well, you know, wow. with, with today's engine, yeah, with today's engines and all the torque they've got, I just don't see the need for an 18 speed. You know, nobody splits the bottom gears. It's just way too much work, and, and we don't need to. They pull so well in the bottom gears that, you know, and I realize 100,000 pounds a little heavier, but I'm just, I don't see the need for the complexity, weight, and cost of an 18-speed with, with all the torque we've got available. Um, certainly a 13 for the, the ability to split in the top gears. 420s, I, I can't imagine any engine today that's going to do well with 420s, though. That sounds Up here in Ontario, oh, sorry. Yeah, but that sounds like a lot. Uh, again, uh, Kevin Kevin's more uh, up to date with the gearing here than I am, but that does sounds like a lot of gear. Well, up here in Ontario, we're governed at 105 kilometers, which is roughly six three yeah. right. miles per hour period as top speed, right? So I don't see the need to have any more gear than that to run any faster at any time it's never going to leave ontario well, this truck so no i i get that but at 63 miles an hour 420s are going to put you in the 1800 rpm range yeah i hear that's awesome yeah that that's yeah, awesome. and, you'll be, and, you'll, and you'll be forced to run an overdrive all the time too i mean if yeah i really like the idea of being in direct a lot. So, you know, to me, I would go the other direction on the gearing. I'd probably go a little long accidentally or, you know, or, or as a, shall we say, as a, I'd rather fault on the side of going a little bit long on the gear than short. Let's put it that way. And, you know, hopefully be able to spend more time in direct, which is just more efficient. Uh, if you look inside of a transmission and see the, the load path, uh, you definitely have more efficiency when it's in direct. So, I mean, I might go a little bit, a little back on uh, what uh, Kevin said there, and maybe lean toward the 18, and but go the other direction on the gear, and then you might be forced to split the bottom end just because of where you are, and then just avoid the top two gears and be able to run and direct more often. Yeah, yeah if it's I... going to be an 18 regardless. We're in, it's like um, agricultural, like corn, wheat, soybeans, whatnot. We're into farms and even into some dry fields so okay. it'll be an 18 regardless so like 390s 411s something like that i i honestly let me throw out something crazy i would put 293s or 308s okay with a 13 or an 18 well you said you're going to do the 18 so now we don't have to worry about startability so at, at right. that point if we're going to do the 18 I would go with 293s or 308s and and plan on you, splitting them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just just yep. split them all. You got the transmission, you might as well use it and that way you can top out in direct and get really good fuel economy and good pulling power and have two more gears when you need them. I I couldn't yep. agree more. Yeah. Um my next question, this truck um, our contract begins July 1st, so we really don't have time to build a glider. Um, it's going to be a T880. Um, 
Would you like how much horsepower can you guys get out of an MX13 with a program? Like, I find we're so heavy that even the 500 horse MX out of the box is a little lacking. Like, I'm kind of leaning towards the new X15. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, we're just not there yet with our tuning on the pack car, so I, I can't speak to what we're capable of with that yet. Uh, on the other hand, the 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 Cummins, I, I think, is a wonderful engine, and I know we could get you some more out of that if need be. We've done uh, pretty reliably. We could get over 600 horsepower and 2,000 uh, pound-feet of torque to the ground with that one. And we've seen yeah. as high as 660 to the ground and, what, 2,100 um, so that's, you know, to me, I'd go with that for sure. I'd go with the Cummins. I don't know that you want that high horsepower with the weight that you're hauling, but, uh, you know, we, we could, you know, I, I'm thinking 600, 2000 is probably about right. You know, 600, 1800, 1900. That's where we've set up yeah, other heavy Yeah, they, and they live well there. Uh, yeah, but that's easy to do. You know, we could easily do that on the Cummins. Uh, the, the Packard, you know, it's, it's a good engine too, but I think the Cummins a little sturdier overall. So yeah, I would uh, I, go go that direction. You can also get the higher horsepower rate in, in the Cummins. Right, you can get a what's six hundred six hundred flywheel with that. Yeah, so we don't have a long way to go with that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking about going crazy with the horsepower. It's just most of our drivers, we mostly have six NGs at five fifty. So the drivers that have the new packers or they complain about power compared to the cat but i'm thinking 600 a new isx yep yeah i think that's that's the way i guess i'd spec it out i'd get the new isx with the uh, get go with the 600 horse off the, out of the box and we can uh we could take care of that for you too we could have a little bit more if you need be i think that's a plan i think we averted a disaster there 420. I believe Somebody so too. That one pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get to another call. Let's go to Indiana. Charlie, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. Hey, what's John, on your mind I today? You hey, Charlie. What's going on? Oh, not much. I figured out something after one of the, sh the shows on the weekend here, though. Those two sixty nines, Kevin. The guy called about. And it yeah. runs in direct to ninth. It's actually 0.80 in overdrive. I found uh, some more of those. So the transmission is 0.80, the final yeah, gear? And, and, yes, but it direct is overdrive. I did research and I found a bunch of those trucks. Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. And they, wait a minute. You just, you just said something that confused me. You said direct is overdrive. Well, what does that mean? You mean? Tenth, tenth, you mean the top gear? The, the top gear is overdrive. Yeah. Oh. And and oh. ninth is is direct, just like the guy said on Sunday. I believe it was. But these are actually trucks with the dummy axle in the back too. Yeah. So they're actually like wonderful fuel mileage trucks, I think. So I'm uh, checking into one of those now. So that's what I'll be bringing out to you, John. Sounds good. Hey, uh, and and the guy that don't forget with the overdrive and the 18 or the 18 speeds, a lot of people forget that that you get 
a lower first gear in those to begin with than a 13. So that's an advantage to those. And reverse. Well, that, and that's what we just talked about with the startability yeah. with that kind of weight. That that I guess that's a reason to go to the 18 speed in this case. So that's why I kind of said, yeah, go with the 18 speed. Let's and then we can go to the higher gear ratio um, and still right. have plenty of startability at 80,000 pounds. Um, the 13 speed gives us plenty of startability, even with those high gears. But at 100, having that lower end 18 speed is probably. Or people forget about the 18 or you don't have to split anything if you don't want to. Yeah, it, you know the uh, was, the, the transmission that was, was in the Pittsburgh. Yeah, the transmission that was really good if you wanted startability, and they're just not even around anymore, and they weren't very common anyway. Were the fifteen speeds? Correct. I had one of those two years ago. All right, guys. Yeah. That's all I had, but I wanted to uh, tell you that's what those transmissions actually are. They're point eight zero in the final. Now that. Period. And that's a nine speed. So it's a nine speed that's got a point eight zero over for the for the top gear. No, so ninth is no, it's a, it's a it's a ten, John. It's actually ten. Okay. Yeah. yeah some fancy. It's it's a freedom line transmission, so there's no clutch either. That's the only part that scares me. Now, oh, okay. Are we talking about a uh, Meritor then? Because the Freedom Line was Meritor, I, and I would stay away from those just because they're so hard to get them worked on because they can't sell them in this country anymore. Uh, but with that, we've got to wrap it up. I am all out of time, so we'll check back on that next show. Thanks to John and Ethan from Pittsburgh Power. We'll see you next time. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Did you know that you can stream live TV? Now with Alt TV, you can stream up to 500 live and on-demand channels without a cable subscription or receiver. Alt TV, from only $14.95 a month, available with select five internet packages. Visit bell.ca slash alt TV for details.